Snow the goalie is back. Just a month removed from the biggest get in Flyers podcasting history. That interview, that sit-down that we had with Flyers GM Ron Hextall. A lovely, fantastic sit-down with the man who uh, makes all the decisions for your team, your town, your Philadelphia Flyers. We took a month off. We did not plan a month off. This is the reality of uh, working at Crossing Broad and uh, having to deal with me every day. Is uh, For some reason, we were not recording for a month. So Anthony... Uh, is back, and it took, I think, a uh, a war of words across a few podcasts between Crossing Broadcast and Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast, about how baseball is a terrible sport and how no one should uh, watch it because, you know, obviously nobody wants to. And uh, after trading some barbs and, and a few in a slack, Anthony and I have made up, and here we are, a month later recording episode 10 of Snow the Goalie. Anthony, how are you? I'm contractually obligated to do this with you, Russ. Otherwise, I wouldn't be talking to you. <laughs> I'm just here so I won't get fined. <laughs> it's, that was very Marshawn of me, wasn't it? No, that, was, that was great. Uh, yeah. No, I, it, hey, look, I know we you know, life happens sometimes. I mean, like what a lot of people don't realize is is that you know we do so many other things besides just podcasting, right? And you know, I mean, we all have our regular jobs and we all have other you know responsibilities and so you had a couple of things that kind of got in the way I had a couple of things that got in the way as a matter of fact it was kind of funny like the night of the draft I was um out of town at a wedding and I think I had like I don't know six or seven drinks in me when you texted me about the Flyers drafting Farabee and I was like all pumped up that I had it correctly predicted this like weeks in advance on uh, the snow the goalie podcast and i was walking around the wedding uh, tell the wedding telling everybody like yeah you know, i said i was like i told these people six weeks ago that this was the guy they were going to take <laughs> oh so you want like the lewis black route oh you i went ever, you ever watch lewis black stand-up comedy yes like this yes I could just see you waving. I told them. I told them. Don't put the Captain Morgan in my cup. I said, give me the Smirnoff. I told them they were going to get Farabee. Like, I, I could just imagine how fantastic that was. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's funny. Yeah. So, so yes, I was a little, uh, a little fired up. Of course, I didn't see the second pick coming. I didn't see Jay O'Brien coming after that. Uh, but I don't think anybody did. So, um, so that's, that's good. It was fun. It was, so, but yeah, we, we, so we kind of missed, uh, you know, missed some draft talk. We kind of missed free agency, although in the Philly, and the Flyers did have a um, one big game signing in free agency in, in, in James Van Riemsdyk, which we did again. Welcome also, back. we also talked about that on this podcast we as did. a possibility. So if you go back and listen to one of our episodes where we actually discussed the real possibility of I mean, I said I wasn't thinking it was going to happen but i didn't completely dismiss it yeah i think um, i threw i think i threw his name out like we were did. we were going back and forth about the um uh the wild scenarios i think i threw out like what if they went after rick nash and Ilya kovalchuk that didn't happen right but yeah about like what happens if they bring jvr back on like a team-friendly deal i will come back around on on that contract but yeah like it is funny, you know, it, it's it's something that we often catch heat for uh, over with Crossing Broadcast about how we're not the most regular with our uh, uh, our podcasting, where we used to go Monday, Wednesday, Friday. It's essentially whenever uh, a certain somebody named Kyle uh, decides to wake up to his alarm or <laughs> or whatever. And right. uh, no, but it's it's always funny because for the last couple of weeks, there have been people and, and this is, I guess, always a good a good sign. You know, it means that people care. The last few weeks, people have been saying, hey, like, where's Snow the goalie at? And we were working on trying to get a guest uh, for this episode. And what tends to happen, at least on my end, I, I guess when we go to record, 
is if you drop me a line that you're working on trying to get someone, I'm like, all right, well, we can we can push back a day or two. People are going to be happy if we have somebody on and it'll be yeah. okay. And then somewhere along the line that gets to be like, hey, you know, the Flyers got back to me, but we're like, we're just kind of waiting on a couple things and like a couple days becomes a week and then a week becomes two and then here we are. But, you know, I would argue that not necessarily is it is it quantity at this point in the offseason, it's quality. And the fact that people can go back and listen to the last couple of episodes, even before the uh, the interview with Ron Hextall, uh, you know, we, you know, you've been calling for the better part of, I think, a month and a half prior to the draft about Farabee. And we talked about JVR, and I think we even talked about the possibility of them, you know, moving on from guys, thankfully, like uh, Val Philpola and, and Brandon Manning, who both got contracts, I think, on day one of free agency. Good God. There are a lot of bad GMs in this sport. But, um, yeah, you know, you know, we take a month hiatus, but, you know, all you had to do is listen to Snow the Goalie, and you would have uh, known exactly how the Flyers offseason was going to pan out. So here we are. Yeah, we didn't really, we really didn't miss much. I mean, to be honest, I mean, you know, the, there wasn't a lot that took place, and that you would have been uh, if you were just if you all if all of your hockey information came from Snow the goalie, there wouldn't have been anything that kind of surprised you in the in the uh, near one month that we've been uh, not doing this. So um, I, I can at least say that you know I feel good about that. Um, you know, moving forward, that you know that we we still at least provided the uh, the audience with the potential. Um, you know, we gave them who they were going to draft. We talked about the one player that they signed in free agency. Well, there were actually two, um, but the second one's kind of irrelevant. And um, and then, yeah, and now here we are. Here we are, July recording July 11th, um, and it's going to be a quiet two months around the Flyers, I think. Um, but uh, it's going to be interesting. I, um, it's going to be an interesting summer as we approach September because the one thing that I don't think a lot of people realize is that, okay, so training camp's in September, right? But players start filtering back into the area, like over the summer, and some come sooner than others. And um, usually, the big names are closer to September. Like you know, a, a Drew won't won't show up until you know, like the week before camp or a few days before camp opens. Um, Voracek will just because he's like he likes to go to concerts in the city and like be, he's one of those guys who lives in the city and stuff like that. But so he's probably the one big name who will come back early. But most guys will stay, you know, stay awake. But the young guys, they'll be here, right? Because they want to be around the organ, the, the team, and you know, working out at Skate Zone and stuff like that. And so they'll start filtering back. And so the opportunity to you know potentially talk to these guys and get a real sense for what the team feels like you know as as you're going into the season when you can catch them you know on a downtime and there's not a lot of you know media around and stuff like that you get a real better feel for what they're thinking as players um in August i think august is was always my favorite month uh as a hockey writer because i was that was always a time when i would just wander over to Voorhees on a random day catch four or five guys nobody's no other media around and we just sit around and bs right and you get a real sense for what the team thinks about itself going into the season. Um, that's that, and it's always, a, I'll tell you, it was always a slightly different feel than what they presented to you when the cameras were rolling. So, um, so yeah, so it's kind of, that's kind of always an exciting time for me because it's not really, you're not breaking any news or you're not writing, you know, all these great and interesting stories, but you're really gleaning information there. 
and you're really developing relationships there, and it's a, it's a good time. So we're really only kind of like a month away from that. So you know, all we really have to do is kind of tread water for the next month or so, and then all of a sudden we'll have some real uh, interesting content for the podcast. Yeah, it's uh, it's really exciting, I guess, when you start to kind of look ahead and and realizing that we're not that far away from hockey. Like we are, and we're not. Uh, you know, luckily for you, you've got such an interest in the Phillies that. You know, that that will last you through the rest of the summer. And I've had the World Cup for the uh, the beginning of the summer, and that's getting ready to wind down. Go Croatia. And uh, yeah, man, I've oh, that game, that game. Did you watch it? No, and I, we're not discussing it. It's not, it's, just, okay. it's not in my contract to talk just, about soccer. You just really took took the wind out of my sails. We had a conversation <laughs> off air that uh, <laughs> Anthony really, really crushed my soul uh, before he came on, and I, I should have... <laughs> I just should have hit record a lot earlier, and uh, it would have done. I mean, like it was, it, it would have provided people the uh, the ultimate Schadenfreude of uh, all all the people who have commented in the past about how much they don't like me. They would have uh, gotten a real kick. You would have been raised to uh, to cult status. Like if you had an Anthony Sanfilippo fan club before, just wait until you would have seen uh, what would have come out after this. But it was crushing me about soccer and uh, and about it in the Philadelphia market and and all that, and it was rough. But anyway. Yeah. You know, yeah, like when you start to think, it, it is funny. Like the, the hockey season wrapped up. We did a show. We did the Hextall interview, which, I, you know, by the way, I got really good feedback on from uh, from people I know. I, I don't know if you've heard anything back from the team. Uh, usually you get some kind of feedback. We don't have to talk about that necessarily on air. But, um, you know, I, I think when you kind of look back on it, it was re- it was um, referenced by was it Bill Meltzer, right? Uh, Meltzer referenced it. Charlie O'Connor referenced it. Uh, yeah, it's been referenced in several places. And the funny thing is, like, you know, the the more stuff that you read as you kind of go through this off season, you start to see these different columnists put out, or I, I guess beat writers or whatever, put out the way that they think that Hextall is going to kind of try to fill the gaps on this roster. And you still look at maybe the need for another center. You still wonder about what they're going to do with Wayne Simmons. And as some of these writers are starting to try to put the pieces together, I keep sitting back and thinking, man, like the interview that we did with Hextall, I feel like gave us a very clear outlook. And yeah. and like going back, I went back and I listened to that interview again uh, after they signed JVR because I was trying to think, like, is there anything else that he's going to look to do? And I think we pretty much nailed it on the recap afterwards about, you know, they're, they're certainly going to look to promote from within and the JVR signing as a whole, just I think it makes a lot of sense. Cap wise, I don't I don't know if it does. That was the one thing that stood out to me when I went back and I listened. Is he, Hextall made such a big deal, or or kind of grabbed back on to I think it was the last question I asked, where I kind of framed it as, you know, how do you know when it's time to make a big move? When it's you know uh, something that you know you've got to consider the cap implications. Uh, like when when do you make that big splash and he really I thought the answer that he gave made it sound like he was more willing to doing a big money deal on a short term and JVR getting a seven million dollar cap hit uh, over five years for a total of 35 million dollars it makes sense I think on ice I think you know he fits this team really well and it's almost like you're writing a, a previous wrong and trading him for poor value I, I would say in the Luke Shen deal certainly didn't pan out but when I look at it I'm like that's still five years and now like you still have that top heavy issue that I was kind of worried about them having if they had been able to even get you know a, a meeting 
uh, with John Tavares. It's just, you know, you look at it and you've got uh, Giroux and Voracek making over $8 million. And now you're throwing JVR in there at seven. And it's not like it's a terrible cap hit, but like to me, it, it's it's definitely top loaded. It's, it's a top heavy uh, cap situation that you're in right now. And it kind of puts you in a tenuous spot if you don't get rid of a Simmons or uh, you know, if you're looking to make a deal at the deadline, you don't have a lot of cap space to play with. You came in with 17 million and now down to practically nothing. I don't know how you feel about it. Yeah. I'm, I was kind of, I was kind of looked looked at this when I, when this deal came down, I was kind of like, meh. <laughs> and, and it's and it, for a lot of reasons. I thought, I, I, look, I think JVR will be fine. I think he'll score his goals like he does every year. Um, and he'll be a decent player, and he and he'll fit this roster. He's very close with Giroux. He's very close with Voracek. He's very he's one of those good locker room guys. Everybody kind of likes him. So that's you know what I mean by good. I'm, he's not like a leader in the locker room, but he's a good guy in the locker room. Like guys like him. Okay, so in that from in that perspective, I think he fits fine. The reason I was meh about the deal was. Because well, two reasons. One, the contract, like you mentioned, I, I did think it was a little top heavy. Um, but I guess that's what the rate was going to be if you were going to bring him in. Um, and secondly, I'm not a huge fan of JVR's game five on five. It's okay, um, but it's not seven million dollars. Okay, that's so. That's that's the thing. Like I think that it's it's he's a very good power play specialist. Um, if his line starts in the offensive zone, he's good, um, but he can't. He doesn't get back to play great defense. He's not a. He doesn't drive the puck well. He's not a great puck mover. Um, he really doesn't do well when when he starts in his own end. Um, he, he doesn't have. He, it, it's weird. It's like for a guy of his size, he doesn't play with size. I don't know if that makes any sense. No, it does. Yeah, he does in the, on the power play. Like he's a big body in front of the net. He's not afraid to get there, and you know, and he really is productive. But in five on five play, he's not a big body player. He plays smaller than his size. In in, in a, a hockey terminology, in hockey terminology, he doesn't have ass, is what they say all the time. And I know that sounds funny, but that's the thing that they say, and it really means that he doesn't have that hard physical game that you expect somebody who doesn't who is not a speed player to have it's a quality that you need and it's something that's always been missing from his game even when he was here before and I think that was one of the reasons why they kind of were okay with trading him um, for Luke Shen at the time turned out to be a bad trade but at the same time that, that was one of the things that was a negative about JVR um, before he turned himself into a 30 uh, goal scorer so I was I was kind of meh on the deal um but I will say this, and this is where I'll give Hextall credit. When you look at the drafts that they've had and when you look at the prospects that they ha- still have in the system, your left wings, okay, uh, that you have, and I, I'm going to name a couple names here that actually played a little bit in the NHL, but these are the only guys that are really left in the system. That's why I, I po- I'm, I'm going to point out it's it's kind of a bare cupboard. You got Taylor Lear, who was a fourth-round pick. He's the fourth-line guy at best. You got Tyrell Goulborn, who is a third-round pick, um, who is a fourth-line guy at best. You got Oscar Lindblom, fifth-round pick, who came up last year. Um, finally, you know, everybody kind of, you know, all the people wanted him up on the team from the beginning of the year. But as you saw as the year progressed, 
he had some moments, but he also had some you know downtime where he really struggled to score at the NHL level. Um, I still think he's a, a third-line kind of player, and that's fine. He's a good defensive player, but I don't think he's much more than that. Um, then you have, uh, you know, from the six, 2016 draft, you had uh, Carson Twerinski. Uh He's not ready, um, and he's not, not you know, considered to be a, a top-end guy. From the 17 draft, you got Isaac Ratcliffe, who has a little bit of upside and may eventually make it to the NHL, but you're not looking at a top-line scorer there. Um, and Matthew Strom, you know, the same thing, right? So that's why they drafted Farabee first overall, or 14th overall in first round this year, because they needed a left winger who could be productive down the line. They don't have they don't have that. Drew is playing left wing because because they need him to be play to play with uh, Couturier. But I mean, in all honesty, if in a perfect world, let's let's be honest here. Even though he had a great year as left wing, his best year of his career playing on the left side with with Couturier. In all honesty, Claude Giroux is an NHL center. Okay, he's versatile and he can play left wing and he plays it well. Uh, and he had a great season. Should have been an, in the MVP conversation. Um, but he's in reality not a left wing. And then you had nobody else. So you, you went out and you got the top scoring left wing available in free agency. So you can't knock Hextall from that perspective. Um, but when you really break it down and really kind of look at it, there are negatives to this. But I think Hextall's perspective on it is the positives probably outweighed the negatives. Maybe not by a lot, but they certainly did. And so that's why this was the target and the one big move that he made in the offseason. I like I think overall, I'm fine with the JVR deal. Um, I'm a little bit disappointed. You know, the I think one of the other guys that, you know, we had mentioned, I think pretty much any other team wanted to, uh, you know, be connected with was John Tavares. And, you know, I, I guess the way that I, I kind of look at Tavares is, um, you know, he was obviously the number one guy on the market. And I guess the uh, the closest comparison is kind of like what happened with the Sixers going after LeBron James, right? Like, I think the difference here is, you know, from all accounts, LeBron's uh, people meeting with the Sixers was more of a courtesy. And so then you kind of have to come away with it. I guess you have to look at it one of two ways. Would you rather have the meeting with the guy or with the guy's representation uh, and have it be a courtesy meeting or never get the meeting in the first place and never be let on? And it seems like, at least for the Flyers, like it was funny to me, in the initial aftermath of, of uh, Tavares, you know, shortening his list and, um, you know, going into meetings and having his reps meet with teams, it seemed like the number one thing that, you know, I, I don't want to call them clueless, but like clueless Flyers fans kept screaming at, you know, at, from rooftops was the Flyers have all this cap space. You know, why are they not forcing Tavares's hand in having a meeting as if like, just because you have the most money means that you're going to be able to go out and like get a guy to, you know, walk away from, you know, what he eventually chose to do, which was go back to play for his hometown team. You know, like the idea that just because you can throw money at a guy means that he's going to, you know, uh, you know, pick your team over every other option, you know, was kind of silly, but he never gave them the opportunity. And, and to me, like, I didn't want to spend where I didn't want the team to spend close to, you know, nine, 10, 11 million dollars a year on John Tavares. I think he would have been a nice player, but again, like talk about the, the, uh, being a top heavy team. I, you know, I, I actually felt a lot better knowing that they didn't get a meeting because then you're not getting strung out and it doesn't, you know, 
lead you to a situation where all of your other free agent, you know, contingency plans evaporate. And to me, that's kind of what happened with the Sixers. It it seemed like they really thought they had a chance. And because they put all of their eggs in the LeBron James basket, they missed out on a lot of other free agents that could have helped them. And, you know, that's that's another podcast for another day. But, you know, I, I think for the Flyers, it ends up working out and you see what happens when you miss out potentially on the top free agent available but you know you're able to kind of readjust your focus and if the flyers ever thought that they were going to have a chance with Tavares at least he uh he let them know right off the bat he didn't you know leave them standing outside in the rain on prom night yeah i i got two responses to that um the first is is that uh you're right and it's good to take the the view the way that you took it in the sense that um you know the flyers were never uh, in contention there so um, you, you can't yell and scream that they didn't, you know, push that envelope. Um, it, it wasn't. It wasn't going to happen. I mean, Tavares, you know, gave a list of of seven teams, but in reality, were those seven? Were, how many of those seven teams really had a chance? I don't think it was anyone other than Toronto and the and the Islanders. I really think that that's what it came down to. I think that you know Tavares really liked playing on the island would have liked to stay there. Um, you know, the Islanders went out of their way and brought in Lou Lamorello to be the GM there um, or president, whatever his title is officially, um, and to kind of uh, to, to really try and save Tavares and, and, you know, prevent him from leaving. And the only place that could pull Tavares away from the Islanders was the team he grew up cheering for, which is the Toronto Maple Leafs, where he was from. Um, and, of course, Toronto Maple Leafs are a contender for a Stanley Cup, and now you add in such a big-name star um, that really kind of makes them – I think they're the favorite in the East, at least, going into the season. Um, so that's that's kind of a thing, you know, and so that's kind of how it happens. So you're, you're right to look at it that way. But I do sympathize with the fans who are, you know, bellowing from the backs of their throats as loudly as they can – um, that this wasn't a thing for the Flyers. And I'll tell you why. Because it, it got to a point where we were used to being the, you know, the city that competed every year for the top players in free agency in Philadelphia. Like, there was never a doubt that the Flyers were going to be in the mix. They may have overspent for the wrong player at times, but every... July 1st, there was going to be a, a present under the Christmas tree, right? Well, not only just a present, but a, but even if it's the the biggest present that was available, like the Flyers were going to be a potential landing spot, okay? I mean, they they were always were going to be they were in on everybody. And that was cuz that was the Snyder mantra. Ed Snyder always wanted the best toys and that's so he would go after them um they didn't always get them but you always kind of were looking for it and then of course if they didn't get the the one that they wanted the most they would go get two others or three others and so you always had something happening so to hear Tavares say that you know here are the teams and the Flyers aren't mentioned like if you're conditioned to believe that you're supposed to be in that conversation all the time and now all of a sudden you're you're not even in that list like, you're not even being considered. And then the GM says, well, yeah, we would have liked to have been on that list. It's almost like, what happened to my team? What happened to this franchise and to this organization? And 
and so you, you, when you sit back and look at it, and the fans obviously they get you know they get frustrated and upset and loud and blah blah blah. And when you sit, but when you sit back and analyze it and say, okay, well, why is that the case? Um, it's partially that Ron Hextall is a little bit more conservative as a general manager than previous GMs, but it's not completely that. It's not completely. This is not completely on the general manager at this point. This is an organizational choice. And the organizational choice since Ed Snyder's death has been to kind of try and blend into the crowd and not be the team that everybody just assumes is going to be in on every big-name player, okay? And I'm not certain that that's the right way to go. And that's not, that's not Hextall. That's beyond Hextall. That's above Hextall, Okay. And whether now, you know, this is where you have to make a determination um, and it's hard to it's hard to delineate. Is it a choice to be frugal? Is it a choice to uh, be patient and conservative and build it through a long, slow process? Or is it a choice or is it a decision of apathy? Whereas the people running the show over there really running the show i'm not talking about paul holmgren and sean tilger i'm talking about the big big comcast bosses they care more about building a building in center city than they do about winning a stanley cup and, and that's the big question and i'm not 100 percent sure what it is exactly but there's a lot of stuff happening around that company in a lot of different capacities not related to hockey and it, it leaves people, and what they're doing leaves a lot of people scratching their head on those business fronts. So it makes you wonder if that also translates to the way that the hockey team is being run. And I, I have to sit here and say today on on July 11th that if I was making an educated guess, and it, that's all this is. This is not this is not sourced information. This is not anybody telling me this. This is this is me having covered this team for 18 years and seeing how things have have developed uh, under the ownership of prior ownership with with Ed Snyder and the current ownership of Comcast uh, Comcast Cable and NBC Sports. Um, and I start to think that this is something that they just it's it's just there. Like the Flyers are just a thing for them. It's not. They're just a division of the company, and it's not anything. There's nobody there driving the ship saying, we've got to win, we've got to win, we've got to win, except for the hockey people who are hockey ops people. But you need, in any successful sports venture, you don't just need the, the sports operations people, hockey ops, basketball ops, baseball ops, football ops. You don't just need soccer ops. You don't just don't need these, these people trying to win, you know, pulling the same rope, rowing that, you know, row, paddling the as fast as they can. You need the the big money to have that same drive and determination. It's why the owners are handed the championship trophies and not not the coaches and general managers and players right away, right? The championship trophies are initially handed to the owners, and those owners have to be 100% committed to winning. And I, I just get this gut feeling that this – these people from Comcast aren't that. It's just kind of there for them. And that's disappointing, especially in this city where people are so passionate about their sports teams and the Flyers fans specifically who lived for 50 years under the guise of we are going to try to win 
every year, and they damn, they did try to win every year. No matter how much criticism they faced year in, year out, they pushed for that championship trophy every year. They might have been misguided at times, but they did try. And I'm not 100% sure that that's what we're getting on the corporate level with this team. And that's where the disappointment lies for me. So I, I know that that kind of, I don't know if that kind of, you know, answers what you were kind of trying to say when it came to this, but I, I think that that's where we've devolved to with the Flyers franchise. And I, boy, I hope it changes. I just hope something happens in the, in the near future. I hope, I hope they really care about it and fix it or they sell it to somebody who does care. Well, I, I, you know what, Anthony, if, uh, if somebody had jumped in about midway through that, I think we could have uh, said that you were guest starring on It's Always Soccer in Philadelphia with Kevin Kincaid. <laughs> you just described pretty much anything that any Philadelphia Union fan has ever felt. So, uh, yeah. you know, kudos to you on that. Uh, that's that's um, pretty much a direct parallel. The only difference, of course, is that the Union have never had success. But other than that, yeah, I mean, it's, it's essentially the same thing. Uh, it feels like, you know, you've got an, a, a corporate shell of an owner. And, you know, the difference, of course is you know between these two teams at least is comcast spectacor has plenty of money it's just you know they're in a financially you know tight situation i guess like a you know they've got a salary cap mls doesn't really have that so um you know whereas union fans like me you know struggle with the idea that for being in a top sports market we have an ownership group that is just flat out cheap and does not invest money well you know, with this Flyers team, it, it, it the crappy thing is, and, you know, you brought it up before and you just mentioned it again, it's almost like this rudderless boat. And, like, at, at the website, right, like on Crossing Broad, it was a thing in the past week that, you know, people um, at NBC Sports Philadelphia have been let go. It feels like there's not much of a direction. Nobody seems to know what's going on there. And, I mean, that's on the media side. And now, like, it, it's certainly pretty evident at this point that, Nobody seems to have an idea of who Ron Hextall's boss is, who he immediately reports to. And if you say it's Paul Holmgren, who is, you know, technically, I guess, higher up in the organization, who does he answer to? We don't have an answer to that. Well, the guy, and, it's, it's Dave Scott is the guy's name. I mean, that's if you really want to, you know, pinpoint who it is. Um, but this is what I'll say, Russ. I mean, look, owners don't have to make themselves available to the media. Snyder was a, a unique individual in that regard he would always talk he sought the media out like he loved talking to the media um and so that so we were we were spoiled covering ed snyder that said even in today's day and age where everything is social media and these guys try to avoid the the you know getting the wrong quotes out there uh, all the time if you look around this city jeff Lurie doesn't talk to the media a lot but he does talk to the media okay um uh, Josh Harris should avoid talking to the media at all costs, but he seeks them out to tell them, you know, to talk to the media. Hey, we were close. Yeah, we were close to getting right LeBron. Now. We were close. LeBron, LeBron, <laughs> he, really, he really did think about um, joining us here. And, like, <laughs> now, and ultimately, we're going to just... <laughs> um, and John Middleton. Come on, watch Crystal Palace. <laughs> John I Middleton. own 18% of Crystal Palace. All right, all right. Know. All right, all right. <laughs> and John Middleton, John Middleton doesn't talk a lot to the media, but when he does, he that has a lot. He, he has a lot to say. Yes, he does, and he inspires confidence. And see right. that. So I I don't know where else you're going to go with this, but but, but you know, let me interrupt. Of course, 
before you get to your your main point here. Middleton, right. I think, is the one owner who, when he speaks, I believe him. When Josh Harris speaks, he's got no charisma, and I don't believe a damn thing he says. Right. When Jeffrey Lurie comes out and speaks, you know, even even last season, they go on to win a Super Bowl, but you know, in last off season, it did not like it. It just kind of felt like. Remember, there there was the word that he had been getting himself involved more in um in player personnel and and all that and it was just kind of like oh no like this this has Jerry Jones written all over it like please go away yeah. like we don't want to hear from you uh Jay Sugarman doesn't exist for the union and now that we don't have an Ed Snyder you know in charge of the Flyers we don't really have that face yeah Middleton's like the only guy that when he comes up to the podium I'm excited because I know that there's either big news coming or he's going to you know reiterate the point that they are going to go out and do everything they can to improve their team and he's the only one right now in the city that I believe Jeffrey Lurie you know did a great job and and you know made made correct moves in the front office that led to you know uh, great moves and and great you know player personnel acquisitions and and such but even if he comes out and talks I still don't know how much he knows about you know what the the overarching plan is Middleton's the guy Sorry, back to your point. No, and you're you're not wrong. I think I think Middleton's very genuine, and I think I think Laurie is sometimes disingenuous. I think Harris is a is a boob. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, I'm being blunt. I'm going to be as blunt as I can be. I mean, you know, I I think Jeffrey tries to mislead you a little bit, and and you know, and that's you just got to try and cut through that nonsense. I just think Harris is a is a is a is a he's a he's a boob. There's no no better word to describe it. He's a boob. But who's the guy for the who's doing this for the Flyers? When was the last time anyone spoke to management above Paul Holmgren about the Flyers, the state of the franchise? It doesn't happen. And that's the that's the concern for me. It's when you say it's a rudderless ship, look, I think that I think that Ron Hextall is breaking his ass every day to try and win something with this team. I think that um, Paul Holmgren, as the president, is con- he's constantly over there in Voorhees. He's constantly meeting with Hextall. He's even though he's the president, which is on the business side of things for the Flyers. I know the kind of man that he is. I know how competitive he is. I know he's breaking his backside as well to try and help this team win. I know from a business side of things that a guy like Sean Tilger is doing anything and everything that he can do within his power to market this team right, to make fan relations good, to really be good to their season ticket holders and to do things the right way on the business side. There are a lot of good people down there, and I'm not just saying that because I used to work there. I really got to know them working there, and I know that they're all good people trying to do the right thing for the team. But it was it, there was just something different when it was Peter Luco and Ed Snyder running the show there and you kind of you kind of everyone was buying in everyone was pulling on the same rope and we all knew you know that they were behind you you always knew that Luco and Snyder had your back for whatever you were trying to do and cuz you, you knew you were doing it and trying to do it well and do it for the team now who is that is it it's some it's somebody within Comcast and if and you, by the way that they run the rest of their businesses, it makes you wonder if they if they really care who you are as an employee of the team. And so it's that's to me that's why it's so frustrating because I think that this there are people who want to win within this organization and who are trying to win within this organization, and they just don't have that oversight that really cares whether they win or not. You know, let I, me. I, I'm going to say one more thing. I'm going to say one more thing. 
Just say that, and when when I say that, and I don't want it, I don't want anybody to, to get the you know to sit there and say, oh my god, I can't believe Anthony's saying this. The one thing I can tell you is, the Flyers in the old uh, under Snyder and Luco and those guys, they did not consider the season a success in any stretch of the imagination, um, unless they made it to the second round of the playoffs. That was how they looked at it and said, you know what? We are going to spend as much as money as we can to try and win a Stanley Cup. And in order to do that, we have to guarantee that we at least get to the second round because that's the only way we could turn a profit, okay? So they had to push and push and push, not just to get in, not just to have a, a winning record, you know, not to be mediocre, but they had to be a team that was going to make it to the final eight teams guaranteed in order to make money. That's how much they were spending to try and win a Stanley Cup. You don't see that now. They're not spending this. There's a lot, there've been a lot of cutbacks on the business side, and that's not happening anymore. And so it makes you wonder. It makes you wonder where the commitment level is from upstairs. Go ahead, Russ. I was just gonna say, like, let me play devil's advocate on this. So I, I always felt like, and I this is going to sound horribly morbid, and I, I guess I apologize in advance to anybody I offend. I the, the last few years of Ed Snyder's life, I felt like, and I said to, to other Flyers fans, I, I felt like the only time the Flyers were going to be able to finally move on and become the best version of whatever they were supposed to become in trying to become, you know, caught up to the rest of the league and catching on to emerging trends was going to be like the, either the death or the walking away of Ed Snyder. And, you know, on, on one hand, I think that having a guy who's kind of larger than life, a guy who seeks out the media, a guy who's, you know, out in front. I mean, to me, he really was like Jerry Jones. I, I think that brings an inherent kind of stress that, you know, as a player, especially in, in this league and in this current generation of, of professional athlete, like, I don't know how well that translates. And, you know, in on, on one hand, you know, it was great to have the guy. And I'm sure that, you know, for somebody who covers a team who wants a quote uh, and wants to have things that are, you know, interesting for articles like, yeah, you know, having a guy like Snyder out out in front is great. But I'm not so sure that that somebody like him being out in front of the cameras uh, would go would jive so well with, you know, with a team in this current NHL. And I I feel like for as little success as this team has had in, in terms of winning a Stanley Cup in the last 40-odd years, it feels like, and even when we talked to Hextall, you know, there there were a couple things that he said about, um, you know, making the 2018 version of, uh, you know, the Broad Street Bullies, or, or he said of like the 70s teams or something. I forget what the exact quote was. And I just kept kind of thinking, like, you know, it still feels like there's this this small lining of, of sentiment that, the Flyers are always going to have to be the Flyers of old. And I don't think that works in this league. And I think that we've seen that, you know, not rolling out four lines that are competitive or four lines that can competently go out and skate and drive play and actually, you know, contribute in terms of scoring. I, I, I think we've seen over the last few years that that simply isn't going to work and that the better teams in this league are able, you know, obviously when you get to the playoffs, you shorten your bench a bit. Uh, you double shift guys, you maybe don't roll out your fourth line quite as much, but, you know, I think the league is changing and, you know, for better or worse, and obviously on, on one hand it's worse, like you never want somebody to die. So I don't want it to come off like that. Um, but 
you know, on one hand, I think the death of Snyder has kind of ushered in this this new era of Flyers hockey. But the you know the problem is, you know, I guess on one hand, if I'm saying that you know him being out in front of the media maybe doesn't do a, a whole lot because it puts on a, an unneeded pressure on younger players. I guess you can also make the other argument that having him out in front means that it is taking a lot of those bright lights away from the kids and it kind of allows them to potentially, you know, if they don't let that kind of pressure get to them, it allows them to kind of go under the radar. So I don't know, like, I don't feel like this team has, uh, you know, their, their direction totally figured out because I think for as much as Hextall is trying to fix this team and is trying to kind of move them along, I still feel like there are certain things that philosophically they believe need to be done that I'm just not sure the best teams in the sport are are still buying into. And I think at some point they've got to continue to to turn that page. I just don't know how long it's going to take them to get there. And, and you know, kind of to your point, I, I don't know if they feel an onus to do it, especially if they don't have anybody above them telling them that, you know, things need to change. Yeah, I, I'll tell you where I disagree with you, Russ. I, I think that it's there is a real line here. I, so I, here's what I'll say. You're right that when Ed was large, Ed was certainly a larger than life guy, and he was a you know he was great for us as as media members. But there were times when Ed you know made a demand internally that probably hurt the team more than it helped them. Ilya Brzgalov is a great example. Okay, after the 2011 playoffs. Uh, when Laviolette was rotating four guys in goal and nobody was – they all stunk. Um, and there was a meeting and Snyder said, this will never happen again. Go get me the best goalie available. And, oh, it's this Brzgalov guy. Go get him and give him whatever he wants. And then they paid him all that ridiculous money and then it was a disaster and they're still paying him now <laughs> um, to not be there. So that's an example of, of you know, that's the Jerry Jones side of Ed Snyder. Um but here's the thing with Ed. He he really made kept you sharp. He really made sure that you were going to do your job and do it better than anyone else could possibly do it. And at the same time, while he had those great expectations of you as an employee of his, he took care of you. And so when you look at the players who played for the Flyers under Ed Snyder as an owner, they were really taken care of by their by Snyder. It's why they all stick around stick around here. It's why they come back here after their their careers are over and they they live here. This this isn't like the most I mean it's a great area, right? You're in the, the suburbs of a major market in the United States, right? But you could you could find beautiful areas outside of New York, outside of LA, outside of Chicago, and yet these guys are very committed to this community. And it's because they're take they were taken care of by their owner. Ed really cared about them. So even if he was putting that pressure on them a little bit through the media, privately he took care of these people. And there's so many stories that have never even been uttered publicly about the things that Ed Snyder did as an owner to take care of players. And I, while I still think that there is that notion of take care of the player when they get here – I think that's like, quote, unquote, the flyer way. And that's probably something that you're kind of questioning a little bit here. I don't think it's there enough. I'll be honest with you. It's not there enough. And, yes, the game is going to change. And it's going to change again, 
you know, 15 years from now, 20 years from now, Russ, we'll, we'll be looking back and we'll be watching hockey and we'll say, oh, my God, do you remember what it was like in 2018? It's nothing like that now in 2038. Um, so the game will change, and you always have to adapt with the game. And I think that Hextall is doing a very good job of trying to make this team adapt with the game, and that's that's a good thing. Um, and, and I'm not certain that if this happened 15 years ago when Ed was alive and was healthy that they would have changed, even if Hextall was the GM at the time, or even if you know if Holmgren or Clark or whoever. Like I'm not convinced they would have tried to – change with the with it um because of because of ed and and the fact that they're able to do that now is a good thing but it's also i think it's gone it's going completely the opposite direction in the sense that now they have too much leeway you see what i'm saying i i think that there's too much leeway to do it this way and that there's not enough internal pressure to succeed from above and so therefore it, Ron Hextall can take a seven-year plan. He may, he, he may never admit to us that it was a seven-year plan, but that's really what this is, is a seven-year plan to win a Stanley Cup. And if it happens a year or two sooner, that's great. Then it, it happens a year or two sooner. But this was a seven-year plan. You were never going to have a seven-year plan with Ed Snyder. And I'm not certain that any team in any sport should ever really have a seven-year plan. To me, that's too long. I think you can rebuild faster. Um, I mean, it's an approach, sure, but you can rebuild faster, and it's yeah, you could the, you could always you know fold the team, send it elsewhere, get an expansion <laughs> franchise, and in your first year go to the Stanley Cup Stanley final. Right. Exactly. You got, yeah. Look, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, that's what Vegas showed us is that it doesn't. You don't need to. Um, you don't need to do this slow development thing. You can. It's a it's an approach, but there is a there is a there is a way to do it without going so slow. There is a way, and you know if if this, the Flyers are already you know they're four years in, so they have to they they have to continue on the path that they're on. Like we can't you can't suddenly say you yeah, are right, change now. You know you just can't do it differently. And so I you know I think JVR is the first step toward you know them making that next leap. Um, but we still have to remember a lot of the guys that they're going to count on this year are young. I mean, yeah, Drew and Voracek and JVR and Wayne Simmons. Okay, they're veteran guys, you know. And now Gostas Bear will be going into his fourth year. Okay, he's going to be considered a veteran. And Provorov, and you know, you know, he's going to get better. But they're still young, right? There's still a lot of youth that the Flyers are going to count on, and they still don't have a goalie, right? They still still relying on Brian Elliott and and. I, <sighs> I, I think I still think something's going to give. I still think Michael Neuver is going to be traded or let go or something. Well, Alex Lyon's contract extension kind of points that direction, right? Yeah, I th- I think. Well, I mean, you know, he could still go down to the to the Phantoms. I mean, you could. So one of two people are going to go. It's either going to be Neuver or Stolarz. So one of those guys is going to go. Um, well, Stolarz is probably going to go on injured reserve. What two days into the season? And, you know, I mean, honestly, like, and that that that's a shame too. Like, I, I went from being like, you know, unintentionally morbid about the death of the owner to like, honestly, like, guys like Stolarz are just so unreliable. You know, like the idea of cutting bait with him, it, like, uh, between Neuvert and and Stolarz, they're both going to get hurt. Well, you know that one can perform at the NHL level, sort of, and the other one you don't know at all. So, like, what does it matter? I mean, you're looking at cutting bait with one guy 
uh, that's going to be injured, and then you're going to be keeping the other one that's also going to be injured that's, you know, not NHL tested. So I don't know. Like, what is is there really a worse option? Well, no, but, but, so what I'm trying to, but what I'm trying to say to you is is that even now, even this season, bringing JVR in here and, and getting the kids another year playing together, this team's not ready to win anything. I mean, they may make the playoffs. They might. But, I mean, if I said to you now, right now, Russ, July 11th, you look at the rosters of all 31 teams in the NHL, do, right now, do you look at the Flyers and say, oh, yeah, Stanley Cup contender? No. Do you? I do feel no. like they're a better I, – I think that they're a better – they are a more solid playoff contender now. Yeah. Than, okay. I, than I did it at, than I did at this point last year. So so let's all right, let's just let's just look at the, let's look at the division for a second, okay? Uh are the Penguins still better? Of course. Are the Capitals still better? Of course. So they're what? Maybe the third maybe the third best team? I mean, you can argue we'll Keep going. Well, we could argue other teams. I mean, I don't know, Columbus? Uh they might be on par with Columbus and Carolina. Like I mean, like to me, that's kind of, the Rangers. I mean, they're all kind of in this mix. So yeah, you're right. I mean, they might be they might be the third best team. They might be the fifth best team in the division. Any way you look at it, they're going to be battling for a playoff spot at the end of the season, just like they did this year, just like they did the year before and the year before that. But that's really what they are, and they're not much more than that. So and and, and until you have an established goal go to goalie, uh, and you hope it's going to be Carter Hart um, at some point, then. You really aren't. You really can't talk about them as that contender again. So, you know, Man. you're you're five, you're six. I mean, when when does it really kick in? That's that's what's I think concerning to me now is it feels like so much of what they're doing is based on Carter Hart being ready in the next two or so years, and I start to worry about building your entire you know big club roster around that because like what you know you're one popped ligament away from things going sideways you are a really awful year in in the minors away from messing with the kid's head and then like you've you've done everything at the nhl level to you know build a team around you know when carter hart's going to be up and it feels like you're kind of building this team that you're hoping that everyone's prime or or like all of the young defensemen their prime is going to kick in around the time that you think Carter Hart's going to be up here and maybe 2 3 years in his NHL career and it just feels like kicking the, the can down the down the street it feels like that you know it, i think the last few years it's felt like that but the more i look at it and i know that the the goalie situation is tenuous as always it just feels like they're they're kind of treading water another year and you know i feel like they're a better team just by the addition of JVR by the, you know, subtraction, it's addition by subtraction of getting rid of guys like Philpola and Manning, which means that, you know, now we're going to have to argue about, you know, who's going to be the the veteran leader defenseman who's going to end up taking minutes away and, you know, sending Travis Sanheim up to the to the uh, the press box. But, um, you know, I, I think they're better off right now than they were a year ago. But I still don't think, you know, kind of what you were asking, like they're not a Stanley Cup contender. And I think the only way for them to get there is to make yet another trade. And and even if you go out and get a guy like Eric Carlson, which we talked about, you know, on the last few episodes, you know, I, I still don't think that makes them a Stanley Cup contender. I think it makes them a much better team. So like maybe instead of being the third or fourth best team in the division, like maybe it helps you leapfrog somebody. I, I don't think you're going to leapfrog Pittsburgh. Maybe you think that you can compete on talent, you know, pound for pound with Washington. We thought that. 
Washington wouldn't have been the worst matchup for the Flyers in the in the playoffs in, in round one of this past season. So I don't know, like maybe, maybe if you get a guy like Carlson, maybe that helps to solidify things. But I, I just don't see a, a path right now for them to become a Stanley Cup contender in the next two years. And that's even assuming that, you know, two, three years down the line, Carter Hart's up here and it's his second year in the NHL and he's gotten a, a full rookie, you know, full rookie campaign under his belt. At that point, you're looking at a, a Claude Giroux and a Jake Voracek who are two years older, who you're certainly assuming are going to have their production decline. You're going to have a JVR who's going to be at the end of his prime, probably beginning to go downward in year, what, two, three of his contract. I mean, you're going to have to hope that at some point you're, the, the forwards that you've drafted are going to be able to take that next step. And that, to me, is the most concerning thing. I don't feel like the forwards on this team have been coached at this point to a spot where I've seen massive growth. Like I think Travis Konechny's done a good job. But I, I can't really think of a guy off the top of my head who I'm like, yeah, you know what? That guy has gotten exponentially better. Sean Couturier got a lot better just by virtue of, you know, not having to center a third line. You know, just by virtue of him having talented wingers. Like, yeah, he looks better. But I, I'm not so sure if you start the season with Nolan Patrick as your top-line center and Couturier moves down to the second line. Like, I, I don't know if we're going to see that same dynamic goal-scoring Sean Couturier that we saw of last season. So until I start to see Dave Haxtall and, and company, you know, develop these young forwards, I'm not going to, you know, be totally rosy about the future of this team as a Stanley Cup contender. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. <laughs> this is what I've been it's, – it's, I feel like I've been saying this for a few seasons now. I mean, it's – they've really been moving either sideways or if they're moving forward, it has been a very slow step forward, a very small step here and a small step there. I mean, that's the kind of thing that it's been. It's not been – they haven't tried to take the leap yet. And even the JVR signing is not a leap. It's not. It's it's a step. It's saying okay, we're we're getting there. But it's really it was really to take care of a deficiency. I mean, they didn't have they, they don't have left wings in the system. It's why they drafted one and why they signed one because they had none. They, and, and so it was the one weak spot. As great a job as Hextall's done with his drafting, it was it's the one weak spot that they had uh, organizationally. And that's what so they went out and addressed that in free agency and in the draft. Um, but yeah, I mean that's it, it, we're, I, I really I mean people I, people ask me all the time. You know, I, uh, I was telling you a story off air about how I uh, was in the uh, Verizon store uh, getting my son a phone. The guy recognized me from the website and he started started asking me questions about the flyers. And um, he asked me like, when when do, when do I think that they'll be ready to contend and I I said to him I said at the earliest at the earliest we're talking 1920 but more likely 2021 and I and I have to sit here and say to Flyers fans and ask you and respond to us I mean you know you know, leave us a message uh shoot us an email whatever let me know are you okay with it taking seven years to get to that point just to be a contender <sighs> In a 610-632-0975 when we come no, back. <laughs> no, but in a league where there is so much parity, because it's not it's not like it's not like what the Sixers did, right? I mean, what the Sixers were doing was 
they were tanking to try and get a superstar who will then sustain their championship chances for multiple years or two superstars. And you got Simmons and, and Embiid, and now you know they go out and look for the third piece to try and really you know solidify that. Um, and so, yeah, you sit there and say, okay, well, was I willing to wait five years? But then I know that for the next ten that they're going to be you know, one of the best teams in the league. Okay, that's one thing. But with hockey, you can't do that because unlike the NBA where you can get the same finals four years in a row, you're not hap- that's never happening in the NHL. Never. I, not in a salary cap league is it ever going to happen. So, and it's hard to win in, in a league that has as much parity like that. So the question is, are you okay with a seven-year wait to just be in contention? Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. And there's no and there's no guarantee that once you're in contention that you win. And even if you win, there's no guarantee that you're going to win multiple times. You know what I'm saying? Like so it's it's really that it's really a a risky proposition that the Flyers have undertaken here um with this process. And I'm not I'm not sure that it's the right right way to go. I'm just not. And they're trying and you know, if you look, if you look at what they have coming in the in the in the farm system, it's it's arguably the best farm system in hockey. I mean, Vancouver's got a really great farm system, but I think the Flyers are probably right there. I mean, it, it's an excellent, excellent farm system, but it's going to take time, and you don't know. I mean, you never know, you know, which ones are going to hit and which ones aren't. Um, they have a lot. I mean, they have six. They have six goalies. Let's just put that out there, okay? You go back and look, um, and I'm not even counting other than Carter Hart, who's who's going to be in the AHL. When you look at what the Flyers have done goaltending wise, just since 2015, they drafted Sandstrom, Tomek, Fedotov, um, Carter Hart, uh, Kiro Ustamenko, uh, and then this year they drafted Samuel Urson, Swedish goalie. That's a lot. You know, most teams don't draft that many goalies. So they have depth in goal. They have depth on the blue line. They have some centers, um, you know, with the, you know, you go out and got, they drafted the Jay O'Brien kid this year who's going to take four years because he's going to go to college at Providence University before we ever even, you know, consider him for the Flyers. But then you got Morgan Frost, who had a great year last year. They they still are uh, high on uh, Hermann Rupsov, even though he didn't have as, as good a season as they would have liked. Um, so, I mean, they got, they got centers, uh, they got a couple wingers, Wade Allison, who they think is going to play in the NHL and Isaac Ratcliffe. Um, and then of course they drafted Farabee. This team is incredibly, incredibly deep prospect wise, but that's only because those guys have projection to be NHL quality players. You never know what they will, what they will be. I mean, and the example I'll give you is like, for example, Scott Lawton. Okay. Let's look at Scott Lawton for a second, Russ. Scott Lawton was a first-round pick, 21st overall. Okay, he's played now in the NHL last few, a few years, parts of the last three years. Um, do you look at that and say he was a, a, a successful draft pick, 21st overall? I guess. It, it, well, as a fan, as a fan, it, was that a successful draft pick? I'm not convinced that they've put him in the position to be successful, but no, I, no, I, I'm sorry. He was 20th overall, not 21st. No, anyway. I, I mean, I, I guess not. I just don't, I don't know if he ever got a fair shake. I, honestly, like that, that's where I'm at with Lawton. Like, I think that Lawton has shown 
at different points throughout his career that I think he could handle a you know a better workload. I think he could have potentially you know made his mark higher up on a on a better line, but they seem to really want to have him carved out on that fourth line, and so I th- I think in this past year like maybe he showed flashes that you know he could do whatever it is that they want him to do, but. I mean, I guess if you're looking at him as a first-round pick, then no. Like, I, I guess at that spot, you would hope that you, you would have a guy that's better than a fourth-line center. So, I, no, I guess I, I guess it's a failure based I on the way that they've you know, that's played fine. him. That's fine, and I will tell you that I think it's a success. And I, I only say that because I think that a player drafted in at any point in hockey – who makes it to the NHL and then sustains a career there in the NHL is a success. He may not be what you wanted him to be. They may have drafted Scott Lawton and thought he was going to be a second-line center, which I believe six years ago when that draft occurred, that that's kind of how they thought it was going to be. They thought, here's a kid who we think's got some upside, can uh, maybe will, will maybe be a good two-way player, score some goals, and be a, a solid second-line center. I think that's kind of what they thought when they drafted him. Um, he obviously has NHL ability. He's going to last in this league for a while. He's kind of changed his role now to be more of a defensive uh, uh, forward, more of an energy guy. He's going to kill penalties this year. Um, he's going to be a valuable player that you need on a roster, but he's not going to be what they originally thought he was going to be. That's that doesn't make him a failure. It just means that he's not an overwhelming success. He's just okay. We got a, we we have a hit on a guy who's an NHL quality player. Not quite what we thought, but he's still an NHL quality player. Okay, good. And the the point that I'm that I'm using Scott Lawton as an example for is so you have all this talent and all you know in the minor league system, but what do they, what what is their their and their ceilings may be high, but what will they be? And if they all are Scott Lawton's, well, then you got a bunch of guys who can play in the NHL, and that's great. But nobody's you know jumping out at you as as a as a star. Okay, now I, I think Nolan Patrick will be a star player, and he is a draft pick that will you know ultimately. And I think you're going to see tremendous growth in Patrick just from last year to next year. And I think that that alone is going to infinitely is going to make this team better you know a fully uh, healthy offseason yeah, go a long yeah, way yeah yes i do believe that i do believe nolan patrick will make the flyers a better team in 2018 19 and i think that's something to be excited about and when you think about it if the lines go the way we think they will you're going to have patrick centering jvr and, and Voracek. and that in all honesty is probably an even better line than Couturier, Giroux, and and Konechny. i just in my estimation, it's probably a, a more potent scoring line. It's not not a very good defensive line. That's why it's going to be the second line and not the top line uh, because there's not a guy on that line who's really good defensively. Um, but I think that I, I think that they can put they'll be able to put the puck in the net. You give them faceoffs, uh, offensive zone faceoffs, and, and let them go in there, and they're they're going to find a way to score. Um, Hold but on, pause. Uh, let me yeah. let me set uh, over under January first. Nolan Patrick is installed as the first line center. I I think it could even happen sooner. I mean, I, so I, take I, the under. Yeah, I mean, and so I I have a feeling that you're going to see a tinkering with some lines in in training camp, and one of them that you might see now that Couturier's kind of taken that next step. 
maybe you see Nolan and Claude and uh, uh, and maybe it's Nolan, Claude, Voracek, Katori. I don't know. No. Maybe Nolan, Claude, Konechny, and then Katorier with Voracek and JVR. I don't know. I just, I think that, I don't think it's I think that there's a, they're gonna play with it a little bit. You I forgot Wayne Simmons. I'm not. I'm, just, I'm not I'm forgetting. Just I'm not forgetting. I, I'm I don't kidding. know what Wayne Simmons' role is. Poor they, Wayne. This is another subject all entirely. Like I don't know what his role is. He's gonna be a third line winger. He's he's not a great skater anymore. Um, he's not gonna be on the top power play unit anymore because you got JVR now, and then Patrick is even better. Um, probably than Simmons at getting to where he needs to go. Um, Simmons is maybe the best tip uh, deflection uh, goal scorer I've ever seen. I mean, and, and that's on the Flyers, and and that's that's saying something. I mean, that's a that's high praise. I mean, the Flyers have had some great goal front net front goal scorers, Tim Kerr, for example, and I've ne- and I've never seen anybody as adept at doing it as Wayne Simmons with in this organization. So. That's high praise, but I don't think he has a role there anymore. Who was I just power think... play one last year? Well, it you got Giroux. It... it was Giroux, Couturier, Voracek. Well, it was Simmons. Earl, it's, it's Simmons and Gossespierre on the point. Uh, and then once Simmons got hurt, Nolan Patrick filled in for him. And so now you got JVR. So JVR is going to be that guy. And I and I think Patrick and Simmons are going to be on your second unit. Although I wouldn't be surprised if Patrick makes makes it onto the first unit. I really wouldn't. Hmm. Somehow that they figure out a way. And you know you got to assume somebody's going to get hurt somewhere along the line, right? All these guys aren't going to play eighty two games. Um, so there's going to be a lot of maneuvering around. But yeah, I I I, I just don't see a, I don't see the role for Wayne Simmons other than he's a great locker room leader. That's that's his role. That's his role. That you want, you know what, Russ? You asked who the veteran is. Who's the veteran guy? Who's going to come in and and be the you know the guy that gets minutes from Hackstall? That you know because he's a valued veteran. It's Wayne Simmons. It's sad that it's become him, but that's who it is. He's still it's, better than Philpil, and he's still better than Latera. So I'll take it. Oh, there's no doubt. There's no doubt he's better than those guys. But I just struggle to find a real role for him. And I feel real it, bad for him. Yeah, I do too. I do too. I like I like the Wayne train a lot. Maybe yeah. uh, I don't know. Maybe he gets a few new wheels and uh, he'll be able to ride once again. I I don't know. I'm actually surprised that he's still here. I thought I thought that uh, draft day was going to be the moment that we were going to see it. I put a post together for the website, like uh, put that thing up. I essentially gave my my sad farewell to Wayne. Um, I ruined a keyboard. The tears that I wept. Uh, short-circuited the keyboard. It was quite awful. But, like, I, I I just feel I feel bad for the guy. And I feel like for somebody who's connected with the city so well, for a guy that, you know, for as, as much as I kind of railed against it earlier, he really does kind of remind you of the good old days of, of Flyers hockey. And, you know, you still need, I guess, you still need somebody who's willing to step up for their teammates and, and drop somebody. And, you know, Wayne, I think, has shown... Um, you know, better restraint recently in, you know, not getting himself thrown out of games or getting himself, you know, 10 minute majors for, uh, for whatever. But, um, I, I, I don't know. I feel bad that it's, it's kind of come to this point where he's being forced out, but I do think that they would regret getting rid of him. It's this like kind of weird, 
spot that I think they could be in because, you know, again, this this core, for better or worse, has shown, you know, that they they have stretches where they can't stay healthy. And, you know, Simmons went out and played the majority of last season with, what was it, a tear in his hip in multiple injuries throughout the year. And, you know, I don't know, maybe he maybe he comes back and, and makes a name for himself again. He doesn't have that drastic, you know, downfall that we kind of expect to see from him. I don't know, like maybe he rebounds and you end up being able to, for the first time in a long time, you know, roll out three lines that are actually competent in the NHL. And you won't have to, you know, get as many miles on Voracek and on Giroux. And maybe it keeps your team fresher going forward, you know, throughout the regular season. I don't know if that's something that they're going to look to do. And I don't know if it's something that ultimately we're going to be able to see this season. But, you know, having having somebody the caliber of, you know, a Wayne Simmons when he's healthy on your third line, you know, you could certainly do worse in this league. I, I don't know. Well, you're right. You can certainly do worse, but who's he playing with? Who's he? Who's gonna? You know, Wayne Simmons is a guy you relied on to score, right? I mean, for for the last several years, he's been until this past season, he was a thirty goal scorer for the Flyers. Uh, he's you know, and you always expected him on the power play, and you always expected him on the second line, and being fed passes by good players. If he's on this third line, right? Let's let's just consider who that third line is probably going to be. I think it's going to be Scott Lawton, Oscar Lindblom, and Wayne Simmons. How many goals are you getting from those from them those three guys as a as a combination? Really? Well, I mean, th- think about it for a second. I mean, think about it. I mean, Lawton is not a goal scorer. Lindblom, as much as people want to think he is. Is not a big time goal. I mean, Lindblom scores fifteen goals. You're excited, okay? So who's and who and which one of those two guys is really a playmaker that's going to get Simmons the puck? Yeah, that's they're not. That's they're not there. Yeah, right. So so what happens is so what happens is when that line is on the ice, if they're in the offensive zone, the offense is going to be run through the defenders, the defensemen, and you're going to hope that guys like Gostisbehere and Provorov are getting shots on goal, and Wayne Simmons is tipping them in. I mean, that's that, that's what your hope is at 5-1-5. Five five. I think it's a poorly constructed bottom six still. I, I just do. Adding Van Riemsdyk is fine, and it's okay. It's just not – it didn't help your depth. Because, yeah, okay, you bumped a guy like Wayne Simmons onto a third line. Okay, well, Wayne Simmons is really a second-line guy, and he's going to be playing on a third line. Well, that's good depth. It's only good depth if you have people who can get him the puck in the areas that he scores goals, and they don't have that, and that's that's where the flaw is in this thing. So I, I don't know. I it's July 11th. I shouldn't be negative. Let's wait and see. There's still off season to happen. Trades can happen. More signings can happen. There's a lot of things that can still happen. So I, I shouldn't get you know aggravated with the fact that. That this is what it is right now, but it's got really dark, real fast. Yeah. I, well, it's 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 a thing. I mean, I don't know, Russ. I mean, you know, we, you know, we haven't talked in a month. You know, and a lot's happened in this league, and you know, there's a lot of teams that are chasing players and chasing, um, you know, chasing a, a playoff, not just playoff spots, but chasing, you know, contention for a Stanley Cup. And I think everybody got kind of caught up in the Vegas thing last year. And, and you, you could see it. Like, you could see teams saying, well, geez, if, 
if Vegas can do it, so can we. And that's why, like, there were so many. There are so many teams trying to, you know, improve this summer and 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 really kind of put themselves into that category of contender. Uh, so you have less teams that are going to be quote unquote tanking. I mean, you have Ottawa who's going to tank, right? They're going to stink. You know, Vancouver's still got some time. To, they got to, re, you know, they got to get back on track. But I mean, they have a great little farm system coming. But really, I mean, how many teams are really going to Buffalo? Um, how many teams are tanking? I, I not many. I so I think you have a lot of teams that are going to make that push this year, and it's going to be even that much more competitive and that much harder just to get into the dance. So you know. As of right now, I, I'm not supremely confident with the Flyers. I'm if, I'm at the same place I was at the beginning of last year when someone said, "Give me their, give me the chances that the Flyers make the playoffs." I said 50-50. and it, it took them to the last game of the season to get in. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, it, and I think that right now, if someone said to me, "Anthony, what are the Flyers' odds getting in the playoffs right now?" I, I'd say fifty-fifty. That's where I think it's at. I mean, they're they're slightly improved from last year at this time. But I think it's, I think other teams are improved too, and so I, therefore I think that the odds don't change. I think it's still the same thing. I don't know. We've rambled on a lot here. here this Russ. is uh, this got really negative. I was just trying to piece together a fourth line. So what happens if uh, if Dave Hackstall decides to go uh, in a in a really crazy direction? Like what happens if he decides to remove Konechny from the top six? Like what if he sends Konechny down to be on a line with? Uh, uh, like Yori Laterra and uh, and Lawton, we forgot about Michael Raffle. Well, no, he's I didn't still, forget. I didn't forget about Raffle. I mean, he's he's still in the mix somewhere. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's he's the Swiss Army knife. He can he can play anywhere. Um, I I think Raffle probably starts the year on the fourth line. Um, I think Nick Aubé Kubel will be on the right wing of that fourth line. Um. And then the, the the decision is who's your fourth line center. I mean, are you still going to carry that Yuri Laterra contract? Uh, you still got Dale Weiss. <laughs> you, you know, you still got these guys oh under God, contract. I forgot about Jordan Wheel too. Oh, yeah, Jordan man. Jordan Wheel. Huh. Uh, um, and then you got you know the if you're going to say maybe another guy who played for the Phantoms last year, maybe like a guy like Vorobiev or or Vecchioni. I mean, this is this, is, this is, is what you're talking about. I mean, this is the. This is the collection of characters that are going to be in the mix on the fourth line. And do you remember do, the uh, the movie Toy Soldiers? Yes. Do you ever see it? Yes. I, that's kind of where we're going. Yes. The bottom the yes. bottom six is going to be Toy Soldiers. There's going to be a battle, and then pretty soon, Raffle's going to be wearing you know uh, uh, Wheels' right arm, Weese's left leg, and probably like half of Laterra's uh, helmet. That's that's going to become like our our fourth line center. I, I I'll don't make, know. I'll, this is I'll make a, I'll make another comparison for you. The Flyers lineup is like a game of chess, and the bottom six are all pawns. Oh, that's mean. But it's it's what it is. They're all pawns. I mean, maybe maybe Wayne Simmons is a bishop. Okay. <laughs> okay. That's fine. All right. Maybe he's a bishop. That's it. The, of the rest are pawns. Because they can't, they can't do anything else other than be out there. Yori Laterra is a knight. <laughs> no, he's yes. not. He's Yuri not a Lattera, knight. Yes, he can't Yuri, move. He can't move in multiple directions. Come on. <laughs> Yori Laterra is a knight because, by title alone, he seems important. And in Dave Hackstall's mind, he's important. But realistically, he's the most useless piece because his patterns are absolutely useless. Just wait. The uh, 
the one chess grandmaster listener that we have uh, for Snow the Goalie is going to attack us on Twitter. It's going to be great. Uh, hopefully he doesn't like find my old Zanga page and, and comment there. I don't know. Do you see? Uh, this is, uh, I know you and, and Bob like to do the one more thing. There was a, um, uh, like the world's youngest or second youngest um, grandmaster chess player named yeah. in, in, in recent uh, weeks. Yeah, it was, uh, it was great. That's great. I got yeah. a chess. I got a chess story for you. Okay. Yeah. This takes. Go this ahead. Take you back. Take take me back to uh, my high school days. So, in high school, when we used to, we used to have at St. Joe's Prep, we used to have um, uh, we didn't have study halls at the prep. So you just had your class schedule. You, there was one lunch built in, but in your senior year, um, you, you were if you were taking AP classes. I mean, they could be in junior year as well. Junior senior year. Um, if you took AP classes. They only met on half of the cycle days, okay? So the prep at the, at the time ran on six cycle days, A through F. Um, and so three on three of those days, you met with your AP class, and the other three days, it was a free period. Well, the way my schedule broke out senior year, there were three days during a cycle where I had no classes, uh, fourth, fifth, sixth, or seventh periods. I had four consecutive periods off in a row. I wow. had classes first, second, third, and eighth. Okay, so I had four. So there was a lot of downtime for me. How much <laughs> money was being paid for you to go I, to that I school? Know, God forbid. Yeah. My parents were, were I mean, well, at, it's $24,000 a year now to go there. <laughs> at, at the time, my senior year, I think it was only $7,100. So, only. Uh, only $7,100. Um, but so I had a lot of downtime three of the six cycle days. Now, the other three, I was jammed, packed. I had you know three ap classes and oh, seven thing. seven courses go and i only had the one free period at lunch but the three of the three cycle days i i had downtime so we had to find things to do and of course you know when you have all that free time you're always looking for something to do and you play, play basketball play volleyball we had a ping pong table we had a, something called the super pong tournaments we used to have the we, we would practice playing ping pong but like you know you, you would go through stretches of things you would do it and you're like okay i'm tired of that let me find something new well, one day I wander in the hall and I see a couple guys playing chess. And I mean, I had played chess before a couple times, but never with any kind of competitive drive. And so I used to sit there and watch them play. And then I started talking to them about chess and they would talk about some strategy. And so I started to look it up in the library um, about different chess strategies and stuff. And so I kind of got into it for a short period of time. And uh, so I, I remember going, you know, during a couple of those free periods and playing chess with some of these guys. And a couple of them happened to be on uh, the chess team. So one day, I guess uh, one of the chess players who was uh, on the chess team was sick and didn't show up, and the other and another guy was had detention. So they were short a player. So one of the guys from the chess team asked the the coach, "Okay, uh, hey, you know, I have a guy who plays chess with us at free period. Can we bring him on the team to play in this chess match?" And they said, "Yeah." And so the coach it's, the coach's strategy was, since I was not on the team. They were going to put me against the number one ranked player on the other team to take the loss, to hope that they – but because of that, our number one player would then play their number two player, and then number two would play their number three and so forth to try and improve the chances of winning further down instead of making me go up against the number five chess player. So they put me against the number one ranked chess player in the Philadelphia Catholic League that year, and I won. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> so they were so fascinated, right? They, they loved it. The coach was like, oh, can you come back and, and do it again? I, and I remember saying to the coach at the time, I said, I think I will retire with a perfect record. 
<laughs> so I, my lifetime uh, Philadelphia Catholic League chess record, 1-0, 1,000%. That's incredible. I, I always thought you were smarter, but that, uh, I'm pretty sure that does it. <laughs> there you go. There you go. That's, that's my chess story for you. All right, well, let's finish up with a, a fun game of Name That Flyer. <laughs> go ahead. Are you ready? All right, this Philadelphia Flyer played four seasons in the orange and black. Okay. And over his four seasons, he finished with a plus-minus of plus three. He also was a Flyer who had three of those four seasons racking up at least 160 penalty minutes. Who is that Flyer? Wow. That could be a, any number. And did you give me a position or no? Oh, man. So 160-plus penalty minutes per season? Three, at th- Yeah, three out of four Three seasons. out of four seasons. And he only played four seasons with the Flyers. Yep. Okay. And was a plus three total. Yep. Darian Hatcher. That is incorrect. I will give you a second chance. I will tell you that this this man played for the Flyers uh, from the 2001-2002 season all the way through 2005-2006. Jeez. Uh, and he was a forward. Wow. By the way, I don't know if it's going to come through when we uh, actually upload the recording, but your voice has gone down three octaves. I don't know if this is just uh, what your voice does after we hit midnight. I don't know if you become Cinderella's... Uh, 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 carriage turning back into a pumpkin, but this is incredible. Anyway, <laughs> oh, I'm really deep at this point. W- ridiculously, oh man, I I a, actually hope this stays. A lot of bass. You sound like you're gonna uh, uh, Luther Vandross. Yeah, <laughs> very well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it, you're almost it, like Andre the Giant. It, it, no, no, it's not that bad. Come on now. Um, no, it does. Oh it's God, uh, it, I do I do I do find that my voice gets deeper as the night as the night goes on. Um, no, it's easily like three octaves lower. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay. Um, two, four, seasons. Say, uh, four seasons. Four seasons. Oh one, oh two to oh five, oh six. Yeah, don't cheat. And it was a forward. Point, I'm not. His point um, totals: nineteen, twenty-five, thirteen, and nine. Well, I'm trying to think of who played at that time. He scored. He scored three goals in his Flyers tenure. Three goals in his. Oh ten- no, hold on. Sorry, sorry. I was reading the wrong thing. Can, never mind. Scratch that. Okay. All right. So 160 penalty minutes played at the. Uh, so he was on the 014. Went to the conference finals. <sighs> well, the only guy who got all those penalty minutes has to be. Well, it's either Fedoric or Brashear. It's got to be one of those two guys. Um, I'll, I'll go Brashear. Donald Brashear, yeah. baby. <laughs> oh, yeah, Anthony. What a great way to end. Yes, Donald Brashear. I love Donald Brashear. I wish we could bring him back, and I'm pretty sure that he would still beat Yori Laterra in an end-to-end skating battle. So uh, we'll have to see. Let's get uh we'll get Hextall on the phone. I want to see if he's uh if he's open to that. <laughs> uh, I uh, I'll, we'll see, just remind next episode of Snow the Goalie. Um, I want I can't you, take you to seriously. I really hope that it comes through like this. <laughs> <laughs> next episode of next episode of Snow the Goalie. I want you to ask me 
about Donald Brashear Easter Sunday in New Jersey. Okay. All right? We'll leave that as a... If anything happens to you before, then we're going to know that Donald Brashear <laughs> listens to this podcast and whatever the story it's, was, was too scandalous. All right. No, it's, it's really not. It's, it's really more of a funny story about the media but it relates to Donald Brashear. Something ha- there was a there was an incident that happened in game involving Brashear, okay. and then something really funny afterwards with the media okay. happened, um, and so that it, it it ties together. But it's too long of a story to put it on now. I mean, okay. we're an hour and a half in, so uh, yeah, just yeah, that, just, that's, rem- that's next just remind me next episode. Right. Yeah. Um, before we go, we had a five star iTunes review, and unlike the uh, scallywags that run crossed up a Phillies podcast that recorded, I think like 15 episodes without uh, reading any of their five star reviews. We are not heathens over here. So we'll, uh, we'll actually read them here. (laughs) Uh, This one's by flyer fan one, one zero six getting my fill of flyers talk five stars being a flyers fan on the West coast. It's hard to find someone to talk to you about the flyers. You guys have a great show and I get some information I might not have known. Thank you for all you do and keep it up. I'm sure there are a ton of Flyers fans across this country that appreciate your podcast. I know I do. Here's to you, Flyer fan 1106. Uh, you get a five-star review from us, a five-star rating as a reviewer. So uh, put that one on the uh, on the good old fridge. Some gold stars for you, sir or ma'am. Anything else, Anthony? No, I'm just going to keep talking real low for you, Russ. All right. Can you uh, can can you say you want me to you want me to, you want me to so you know what you should know what you should do is you should catch me like this when you need to get your kids Ooh. to sleep and I can like I could talk you know you just put the headphones on and I'll just talk real softly for them. I used to do that to my kids when they were when they were babies and they would get, wake up in the middle of the night and I would just you know I'd hold them on my shoulder and I would talk in a real low voice like this. Well, that's to sweet. get them to fall back to not sleep. At all. But it always works. Yeah, it's not at all. God, this voice that you, you like that is just so freaking weird. It is so creepy. Now, just watch. Like when I, when I go to put up the show, people are gonna be like, "Dude, he sounds the same. Nothing's different." And if that's the case, I need everybody to put this uh, playback speed at like point zero five or no zero point five, and you'll uh, you'll understand. It's it's freakishly low. But anyway, uh, okay. wow. Snow the goalie. It's been a month. We're back. We're here. We're alive. And uh, we will be back next week with another show, possibly a guest coming up in the next couple of weeks. We're looking forward to that. And as always, thank you for listening to Snow the Goalie. Go check out the other shows on the Crossing Broad podcast network, including Crossing Broadcast every uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Say no more. Say no more. Crossed up a Phillies podcast with Anthony and Bob on Tuesday mornings. Of course, Snow the Goalie is what you're listening to. Now, if you're not subscribed, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and wherever else you get your podcast. And let me point out, Ross, Crossing Broad F- we are the most consistent. I, I want to point out that Crossed Up is the most consistent podcast on this you know, Crossing you guys Broad actually, Podcasting Network. You guys actually have the second most uh, episodes of a non-Crossing Broadcast uh, show. I think Crossing Broad FC has actually passed you, so you can uh, put that in your pipe and smoke <laughs> it. Um, but no, Crossing Broad FC will have a, a recap of the World Cup semifinals and quarterfinals uh, and a preview of the upcoming uh, final on Sunday between which two teams? Croatia and France. 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 And, of course, on Saturday before that is the third-place game, a consolation game, if you will, uh, between poor Belgium and even poor England. 
Oliver Twist wants some more, and so do those England players. Anyway, uh, those shows are all available on, uh, like we said before, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Oh, and of course, It's Always Soccer in Philadelphia is also available with Kevin Kincaid and Dave Zeitlin. For Anthony, at AntSanPhilly on Twitter, I'm Russ, at JoyOnBroad. We will talk to you again next week. Thanks for listening.